higher education is pretty much always worth it. But education in America can be free and there's so many ways to access it. You can get like the best professors from like the best schools and their lectures are on YouTube. So if you want to learn something, you can learn for free. The reason we're going to college, let's be honest with ourselves, is that we want our children to earn more than if they don't go to college. That's yeah. pretty much yeah. the reason we're going. And to me, that's an investment question. That is a financial question of if I spend X dollars, will my child earn more if I didn't spend X dollars and they just didn't go to college? Welcome to Financially Ever After Widowhood, the podcast where we empower women to take control of their financial future after the loss of a spouse. I'm your host, Stacey Francis, President and CEO of Francis Financial, an award-winning and nationally recognized financial advisory firm. With the help of incredible guests, I'm ready to guide you through this challenging transition. We all want to be good moms. We want the best for our kids. And well, for many of us, it's trying to send them to the best college they could possibly get into. Well, I get that. I'm going through the whole college learning and college touring situation with my son. And I have learned so much about the price tag of college and unfortunately, the student loans it can create. Robert Farrington is our special guest today, and he has all the answers. He's known as America's millennial money expert and America's student loan debt expert. He found this special website called The College Investor, and it's a personal financial website helping millennials escape debilitating debt helping them start to save for the future and invest. He works not only with millennials and people to help them make good college choices, but also navigate the complexities of college. And I will tell you firsthand, choosing the right college is not straightforward and the finances are definitely significant. You've seen him around. He's been quoted in the New York Times, Washington Post, Forbes, ABC, Fox, NBC, and more. I was fortunate enough to be on a panel with him for CNBC, where I got to see his true brilliance in this area. So without further ado, please help me welcome our special guest today, Robert Farrington, who's going to give us all the secrets you need to know to give your child the best education, but also the best financial start in life. Hey, Robert, I'm so excited for you to be here because I know that one of the things on top of mind for so many of our listeners here at Financially Ever After a Widowhood is, okay, I'm on my own. Can I still afford to send my kids to college? Something I know that we hear from a lot of our clients too really keeps them up at night. And you are like the superpower of individuals in this area talking about college education, student loans, and doing everything right. So I just want to say a great big thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I hope this is a really helpful conversation for people because the world's very different today and there are a lot of options to help save and pay for college. And there's a lot of things that we need to avoid as well. So hopefully we'll cover a lot of that today. 
And that is actually what I am really excited about because for a lot of the women who are listening, they may not have been as much really in the forefront of the finances, the driver's seat. And we know not only from any widowed mother that you talk to, but also the studies that for most women, their income really declines after their spouse passes away. And the thought about, number one, am I going to be okay? Can I reach retirement? Let alone, what should we be doing for our college education is definitely top of mind. Talking to her now as a single parent with no idea really how to start saving for her child's education, where should she begin? So I like to use a little framework that I call YES. It's pretty simple, Y-E-S. But it starts with Y, which is you. And just like the airline pilots say, when you get on an airplane, you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you take care of your kids. It feels counterintuitive too as a parent, but you got to take care of yourself financially first. Because I want to remind everyone listening before we dive into all the nitty gritty is there are so many ways to pay for college. There's free college places, there's scholarships, there's grants, there's tuition free colleges, there's service academies, like there's so many ways to get higher education. And some of them cost next to nothing or nothing. Really, first off, take care of yourself. Make sure that you're on track with your own emergency fund and your own plans for retirement and your own ability to pay for life before you even worry about the saving for college piece because there's so many options out there and ways that you can navigate that later. But you can't get a loan for retirement. You can't get scholarships and grants for your own future. You got to take care of that first. That's where I always like to start with families. Then if you've knocked out a lot of your goals or you feel like you're on track with your own savings, you can look at the E, which is education savings accounts. There's a lot of flavors. There's a lot of options. I am a big believer in the 529 plan, which is, you know, the most common education savings account today. But these are special accounts that allow you to put money in. They'll grow tax free. And if you pull them out in the future for education expenses, they're also tax free. So there's a lot of benefits there to save in an education savings account. And what I also like to remind families is you don't have to be the sole contributor to this account. You can make it a family affair. Maybe there's grandparents that gift a little money or aunts and uncles or friends and family. There's a lot of ways to get money into these accounts. Doesn't have to be you by yourself. And then finally, the S is just general savings because let's be honest, not everything your young adult child is going to encounter is an educational expense. There's going to be travel. There's going to be fun. There's going to be other things. And you don't want all your money tied up in an education savings account. So having a general savings account, a general bank account for your young adult child is a great tool to add to the mix as well. I've got lots of things. that I mean, this is so exciting. There's so much rich stuff here I want to jump into. Okay, so back to education savings account, the 529 plan. The first question that people have is which one? Each state has a different 529 plan. And you can go to some great websites. Saving for College is one. But Robert, in your opinion, what is the best plan for you? They just don't make it easy, do they? Our system just can't make it super straightforward. The problem with 529 plans is they're state-based. So there is 49 plans out of 50 states. Wyoming does not have their own. They're too small. They decided not to. But for everyone else, most people will benefit from using their own state plan. So 38 states offer a tax deduction or a tax credit to deposit money into this account, to incentivize you to 
save for college. Also, about 38 states also give you at least $100 just for having a child in the state. You could have that option. You usually have until they're about five years old. So if you have a younger child, you might still be able to claim that $100 in your state. So check it out. Free money. Love free money. So your state's plan is typically the way to go. If you're in one of the states that doesn't have any tax credits or tax deductions, there are some great plans in Utah, California, even though it doesn't have one, is still a great plan. There's options out there for you. Don't overthink it, though. For most families, your state's plan is going to be the best option for you. It doesn't actually matter when it comes to paying for college and stuff. You can use any plan. You could actually yeah. use more than one plan. It can get very complicated to manage, but this is one of those decisions that, you know, if you just don't know where to go, go with your state's plan. Don't overthink it. Just get going with it. There's also the myth that I open up a New York plan. What if my kid goes to college in Colorado? Mm-hmm. It can be used. And what I think is really important too, for our family, my kids actually go to a British school. They're here in New York City, so it's only like 15 minutes from our house, but it could be my sons decide to come to school here in the U.S. for next year for college, but my daughter may end up going abroad to England. And what's interesting is that a lot of the colleges abroad will accept dollars to pay for tuition from 529 plans here in the U.S. Are you seeing more and more? Yeah. So many of the major colleges, let's say there, if you're going to Europe or Asia, many of those major colleges will accept financial aid, Title IV money to pay for school. I mean, it's still a limited list. It's about 100 schools overseas, but most of the major ones are on there. And so there's a lot of options. I'll also say that in the last couple of years, 529 plans have broadened. So I like to call them education savings accounts because it's not just college anymore. You can use this money for K-12 to education. You can also use it for apprenticeships, vocational school, things like that. So your child doesn't go to a four-year school. Maybe they want to go to some type of vocational school. This money can be used for that. There's also some worst-case scenario options. You can use it to pay off $10,000 in student loan debt. You can potentially roll it over to a Roth IRA in the future. There's options there. So even though it's education savings and quotes, if you're not seeing this, there's a lot of options beyond that. That's really important for people to realize because what a lot of our clients way back when, 15, 20 years ago, the biggest reason they told me that they didn't want to put money in Mm -hmm. was what happens if my kid gets that full ride scholarship? He's only five, but he's the best on the soccer team. (laughs) FYI, we never had that worry. We've been socking money in because we knew we were not getting any athletic scholarships for our kids. But can you tell me a little bit more? Because that's not so much a worry anymore. You're right. The downside that a lot of people worry about is the penalty. Oh, man, if I don't use it for a qualified expense, I get a penalty. And the penalty is 10%. I know. And just the word penalty scares me. It does, right? right? Penalty. Like, I'm in trouble. What did I do? Who's coming after me? Right. So if you pull the money out for a non-qualified expense, you pay taxes and you pay a 10% penalty. In some cases, the penalty could be waived. So if you were lucky enough to get that full ride sports scholarship, you'd still pay tax on the money, but you don't pay the penalty. So in that case, it becomes more like a traditional IRA where you're just pulling the money out, you're paying your ordinary income on it, and you're moving on with your life, but there's no penalty. However, if you aren't that lucky, there is a 10% penalty, but there's so many options here to avoid the penalty. Like, There's no reason to pay a penalty. Beyond the potentially moving it to a Roth IRA, beyond using it for vocational school, trade schools, 
You can also think about things like turning your savings into a kind of dynasty educational legacy for your family. One of my favorite ones is maybe you just let the money keep growing for years and years and you use it for your grandchildren. You can use these accounts in so many ways. There's nothing to say that like you have to spend it on so-and-so's child or your own child. You can let it wait until you have grandchildren. You can use it for a niece or a nephew or some other family member. You could use it for yourself. You can go back to school and go to college. I actually knew someone recently that did the semester at sea. It was a husband and wife couple and they did it in their like 50s because they had extra money and they're like, let's go a semester at sea and do this. So there's options out there. Now, granted, maybe these aren't the perfect ones for you, but I don't want you to feel so trapped in using this money for college. There's a lot of options and it's a great tool for education savings. It's not an everything tool. It's not a retirement tool. It's not all this, but if education is important to you and you've taken care of the why category yourself, I like it as one of the best features, one of the best yeah. tools out there versus the alternatives. Because remember, we're also in a world of alternatives. The alternatives are like a taxable account, a custodial account, things like that. If education's the goal, I think the 529 is the best of the alternatives. Yeah. And again, remembering everyone, the power of the 529 education plans is that you can get some type of tax deduction or credit for the money that goes in from your state. But also the money comes out tax-free, again, if it's used for qualified expenses. And you can change that beneficiary. Like you said, Robert, your child may be the beneficiary, but maybe your child doesn't need it. So there is so much flexibility to whom you can change it to. You can't change it to your friend who you're not related to, but there is a lot of flexibility of what you're saying. There's probably more questions about 529 plans. Anyone who has questions will have information for Robert, also for me, so you can reach out, ask more questions. But I want to talk more about the mind-blowingly high expensive cost of college. I'm seeing the price takes right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, my, we're looking at different colleges for my son. And we know the names, private colleges, mm-hmm. all of that. But are there other colleges, programs that kids are going to get a great education from that give you more flexibility with the cost all around it. Yeah. So the hard thing that I think we have to change our mindset to, especially if you're a millennial or older, is this idea that college is always worth it. Higher education is pretty much always worth it. But education in America can be free and there's so many ways to access it. You can get like the best professors from like the best schools and their lectures are on YouTube. So if you want to learn something, you can learn for free. The reason we're going to college, let's be honest with ourselves, is that we want our children to earn more than if they don't go to college. That's pretty much the reason we're going. And to me, that's an investment question. That is a financial question of if I spend X dollars, will my child earn more if I didn't spend X dollars and they just didn't go to college. And that's how we need to frame it today because it's very expensive. We've over-indexed the value of things like networking. And if I go to Harvard, they're going to know the next senator. Maybe they will, but Harvard has 50,000 plus people 
at the school and are you going to be that point zero 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 one percent that like yeah. room with the next president? I don't know. Maybe, maybe but maybe I, I wouldn't bank your future success on that one. Right. right. But it could happen. But, you know, someone also wins the lottery every year and wins two billion dollars. I don't know if like, that happens, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's a very financial question. And we have a lot of data today that we didn't have. We have salary data. Like if you know you want to go in a certain career field, you can go to things like Glassdoor. You can see what these careers earn. So when you're looking at these equations, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it going to some schools over others? And I'll tell you that there's so many great colleges out there and it doesn't have to be these private Ivy League schools. In fact, you know, honestly, as someone that sees people with student loan debt and talks to them every day, most of the struggles come from private education doesn't usually come from undergraduate public education. As you're looking at these things, I have a little bit of a framework that I put onto this as well. And one of the rules I have is never borrow more for college than you expect to earn in your first year after graduation. So as you're doing okay, this Okay, I'm going to say that again. Yeah, That's never, huge. Yes. Never borrow more in total yeah. than you expect to earn in your first year after graduation. What this means in practice is, let's say your child wants mm -hmm. to be a teacher. We need teachers. Love it. But, you know, sadly, the average teacher's starting salary in this country is low. It's in the 40s, maybe in yeah. the 50s, depending yeah. on your state, right? So don't borrow more than, say, forty dollars to $50,000 to pay for your college. That means don't borrow more than about $10,000 a year. And that can be hard, but, you know, you can still find that at most state schools. You can find that by maybe going to community college first and then transferring over you can find the ways to make that number work, but you might have to be a little creative. And then also, if you're combining it with savings, like maybe you had a 529, you have a little bit there, that's helping offset. Yeah, it gives you flexibility. Yeah. It gives you flexibility. Now, let's just say you want to go be an engineer. You know that if you graduate, your average starting salary is going to be maybe 65000 Well, you have more earning potential, so you can borrow a little bit more for college, sixty-five, seventy thousand. 70000 So now you can borrow 15000 18000 a year. Still, it's hard to swallow at some schools, but there's lots of options out there. That's one of my big rules of thumb. As you're looking at these schools, realize how much you're going to have to spend, how much you're going to have to borrow. I'll also remind you, don't be afraid of the sticker price. We were alluding to these crazy school price tags. Well, I feel like paying for college is honestly worse than buying a used car because you know people are paying full price. You also know people are paying zero. But like 95% of people are paying somewhere in between. And like yeah, we have exactly. No, we have no data on that. And I won't say no data. There's actually a little bit. One of the coolest projects out there right now is called Tuition Fit. What you do, it's a free service. But if you send your acceptance letter to them, they'll black out all your personal data. They'll add it to the database and they'll tell you if you're getting a good deal on college or not because they have everybody else that applied. Because what they're looking at is the net price of college. And that's what you care about as a parent, net price. It's not the sticker price. It is the price minus any financial grants and scholarships and awards you get. And that net price might be 50% of the sticker price just because they're playing all these financial games with like how much they're going to give you in grants yeah. and scholarships and things. So you can take a look, net price, that's what you want. So I would say if someone really wants to go to one of these really expensive schools, I wouldn't dissuade you from applying. But when you're applying to seven schools, keep those to like one or two, like your stretch. Yeah. Pick three in the middle that you know you're good with. And then, you know, maybe a couple safety schools as well. But like, I never want to tell a kid, if you 
can't go to Harvard just because like maybe they'll offer you a full ride. I don't know. But if your child really wants to go to these fancy ones, sure. If you want to spend the time and apply, apply. But like make sure you still have a good bucket in the middle there. Yeah. So, Robert, tell me this about the different types of student loans. We are helping a friend of my son to apply for student loans. So once I put in the information, I get one to two emails a day from different student loan providers. And I'm starting to feel like because this has been going on every day, I'm like, oh my God, some of these loan providers, at least to me, feel pretty shady. Or may I say aggressive. Right. The they, hard they, sell. <laughs> right. The hard sell, I'll say aggressive. So paint the picture, the difference between private loans versus public loans, government loans. And in the time of sky high interest rates, what do you do? First off, let's even take it back a step. So when you're starting this college process, you want to apply for the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. You do that. Well, if you're listening to this show for the first time ever, they moved the date to open it into December. Usually it opens October 1st every year. This year it's going to open in December of this year. You apply for this, and this is what unlocks financial aid. It's such a misnomer because financial aid includes grants and scholarships, but it also unlocks federal student loans for your child. And federal student loans are the best loans that you can possibly get out there. They are some of the lowest interest rates. They're fixed. Now, granted, interest rates are higher, but they're still, you know, depending on if you're an undergraduate, a graduate student, they're going to be in the 5 to 7% range for these loans. But they have a big problem. The problem is, is that when you're a freshman, you're only going to get $5,500 of federal student loans. So even though they're great loans, you don't get a lot. But what yeah. makes them great? You get income-driven repayment plans. So if you don't make a lot when you graduate, you can have a really low monthly payment. They offer student loan forgiveness. So if you want to go be a teacher, after 10 years, if you still have student loans, they'll be forgiven. They offer things like hardship, deferment, and forbearance, mm -hmm. which I think most of your listeners will know. Federal student loans have been paused for the last three and a half years during the COVID pandemic. So those are all cool perks that you get with federal student loans. Private student loans, they don't offer any of those perks. They are very much like a car loan or a mortgage where you get an interest rate, you pay that monthly payment every month. There's not really any options if you can't afford to pay and the collections and processes can be very aggressive. However, you know, a lot of people turn to them because there's limits on those federal loans. Yeah. So I mean, low. like what else are you going to do? Exactly. If you're looking at that tuition bill and it's say it's $20,000 and you're only getting 5,500 and you have a gap to close, that's what leads people there. But I'll also put this warning out is that those are the ones that get people in a lot of trouble. I'll tell you, if you've ever read a headline of someone struggling with their student loan debt, you dive into the details. They never get there in the first paragraph, but by the time you get midway and you hear the whole story, it's because they started borrowing private loans. Or, especially for the moms out there, they took out Parent PLUS loans. Parent PLUS loans are the bane of my existence. And I know this is probably a controversial take, but I really do not like parents borrowing for their children's education. I know you feel like you're doing a good thing, mom, and you feel like I'm going to borrow this money to pay for this college. But Parent PLUS loans are federal loans but they operate very much like private loans and they don't have a lot of the same great benefits. So parents borrow them because they are trying to close that gap we were just talking about. 
But parents need to realize and mom needs to realize that is your loan. Your child has no legal responsibility to that loan. And you are paying your loan out of your income. And if you are looking at retirement and now all of a sudden you borrowed a bunch of money, that's going to be very hard for you. And these loans don't have the best income-driven repayment plan options. There are some backdoor workarounds to maybe get public service loan forgiveness. But again, you're approaching retirement, so you might not be working to get said loan forgiveness. And so these loans, they cause a lot of family drama, financial drama, but also like it suddenly pits mom against child later on in life because mom might need help. Child's like, I'm barely making any money myself. And they're like, well, I borrowed these loans for you. And I thought you were going to pay them. And it just blows up a family dynamic. Um, it can be really bad. And so this is where yeah. it's like, I'd rather have these families have the conversation up front. Hey, maybe we go to a less expensive college. Maybe we look at alternatives. I'm not yep. going to borrow for you. You can pay for your own way. Going through the college search process with my son, being a financial advisor, it's really interesting, like the things that I'm learning. So we're very fortunate that because he goes to a British school, they cram in an extra year of education, even though it's the same number. So he, at some colleges, is actually going to enter as a sophomore because he'll have so many credits that transfer over from high school. And I'm like, oh my God, this is saving us so much money because we're able to do that. That's number one. But then number two, thinking about, quite frankly, it doesn't matter where your first two years are, maybe even your first year, go wherever and then transfer in. Yep. English 101 is the same wherever. Math 101 is the same. No one cares what book you read and paper you wrote. (laughs) You know, and I think about that. And then even if someone's thinking of secondary, yeah, of course, the college you go to, that's important. But your chances, if you really want to go to Harvard, are a heck of a lot easier to get in for some type of secondary degree than the first degree. And I'll be honest, I mean, of course, we look at everything, but a lot of people are going to look at that second one. But I think that there's so much creativity that you can have that your child can get a fantastic experience, a fantastic education without staying in that little box. And I feel like the box happens when certain parents talk to other parents. Mm -hmm. And I live in New York City and people were applying to 10 different nursery schools when their kids were like three. We never did that. We were like, you know what? Public school is great for us. We'll do public school as long as we possibly can. And we've had a great experience. But not all people have that outlook. There's like this pressure of being a good mom. You're a good parent if you do this stuff, if you absolutely sacrifice for your kid. But my gosh, there are a lot of ramifications that you talk about. You nailed it. It's the psychological factor more than anything. And I think you see this as a financial planner. It's like I always say that everything we learned about all this stuff, we learned in like second or third grade. Like we can do math. We can figure out how much something costs and what the difference is. But it's the idea that you're being judged by your peers. It's the idea that you're disappointing your family if you don't go here. And that's where I think moms can have these conversations. I like to have these conversations early with families. By freshman year of high school, I'm really hoping that families are more transparent. What's saved? Like, how much have we saved for college? What are we kind of expecting here? What do you want to do? What's the plan? Because you can leverage your high school years in a lot of ways to help you. One of the ways you mentioned was 
getting ahead and getting taking things like AP classes or IB classes, which gets you those college credits. So all of a sudden now you just knocked a year off your college. So now you're only paying for three years. Fantastic. But if you're not taking those AP classes in high school, well, guess what? That's not going to be an option for you. But if you know that in freshman and sophomore year, as those AP classes come available, boom, you can start knocking them out. Yeah. You can also start applying for scholarships. Be honest. I think kids just appreciate honesty more than I think moms and realize is like, hey, I'm sorry, but I don't have much saved for you for college. There's nothing here. There's only a few thousand dollars here. Your kids would be more thankful for that than expecting that you're paying for the whole thing and then getting surprised when they're a senior. If they know that going in, they can apply for scholarships. They can do volunteer work and work at organizations that might help with college. They can have a very clear understanding so that when they are the junior in high school and the senior in high school, they know what the expectation is. The biggest source of conflict comes from a mismatch of expectations. It's when the kid thinks that they were getting their college paid for no matter what. And then mom's like, "Uh, no, and then you're already not dealing with this until college application season is here. That's where the problems really blow up. Robert, this has been fantastic. And another thing that I've heard a lot of experts saying that I've shared with clients too of if your child does need to take out student loans and you find yourself at age 65 ready to retire with a nest egg that is so fully fluffed that it's softer than down pillows, you can help them pay off their loans. Totally. Right? You have that ability. So how can more people find out this great information? And FYI, I've seen Robert speak actually to high school students and college students. And the way that you're able to explain this and get people engaged and really understand what's important, what's not, I think it's phenomenal. I'm so excited you're here. And you have a fabulous website and are just all over talking about these topics. So how can our listeners hear about you? So if you want to learn more about this saving and paying for college stuff, you can find me at thecollegeinvestor.com. We also have a podcast, The College Investor Audio Show. It's short. We keep them like five, six minute episodes. So you can just get a little daily digest of financial content. And we're on video as well. The College Investor on your favorite platform, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we're there. So hopefully we helped you and you can find us online. Shoot us a question. If you do, we'll be here for you. Robert, I can't thank you enough. This was fabulous. We jammed a ton of content in here for all of you listening know that we have show notes with Tuition Fit, the College Investor, more information about the FAFSA 529 plan. So that's going to be all there so that you have this information. So thank you, Robert. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Robert is a fantastic guest and really bringing to home how you can help your child get the best start in life with the education they need to have a fantastic fulfilling career, but also balancing your needs and their needs to have a financially secure life. So many people worry, especially after the death of their spouse, if they are going to be okay financially. Do you worry about that? Do you have questions? If so, I ask you to please reach out to me, Stacy at FrancisFinancial.com. Our superpower is working with women to rebuild their financial life after the death of their spouse. 
We are here for you and dedicated to doing everything in our power to make sure that you are financially safe, secure, and making all the decisions that you need to be doing. Thank you for joining us for Financially Ever After. We'll be back to you in two short weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After Widowhood. If there's a question you'd love for us to answer on the podcast, we can do that for you. All you have to do is give us a call and the number is 347-682-5580. Let me say that again, 347-682-5580. Whether you're working with an advisor or you're maybe doing it on your own, we invite you to reach out to us at www.francisfinancial.com or you can email me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. Our hope is to be a resource for you to help you also find a great financial advisor, whether that be with our firm or one of our trusted colleagues. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and join us next time on Financially Ever After Widowhood.